Live from Edinburgh, Radio Napier News. Hi there, it's 5.07pm, the 17th of November, and you're listening to Radio Energy with me, Lana Imlar. Our stories this afternoon. Residents in Ratho and Dumby Dykes have been left disappointed as plans to alter the number 13 bus route are scrapped. The proposed alterations would have left better connectivity between these areas and the city centre. That's led some people to speculate, well, does this mean that Mr Sonek is trying to appeal to the more liberal end of Conservative support? Well, if he is, then I think, frankly, he's, uh, he's going to be disappointed. A rocky week in politics has left party leaders Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer in hot water, both in the press and their own parties. We'll be interviewing the renowned UK political scientist, Professor John Curtis, to discuss who's coming out on top and who's been left behind in latest polls, and how this might play out for the 2024 general elections. In other news, Energy have been investigating the ongoing food waste crisis by interviewing Edinburgh-based initiatives, who will be telling us how they're working to tackle ongoing problems of waste. And last in our programme... We'll be finishing with a report on Edinburgh's Book Week festivities that are taking place across the city this week, with some special reporting on some European influences in this week's programme. Now, our top story today. In the Conservatives' most recent attack on the Scottish Government's handling of Health Secretary Michael Matheson's iPad expenses, the leader of the Scottish Conservatives, Douglas Ross, has today published a letter criticising First Minister Hamza Youssef and saying that Matheson's address to Parliament had raised more questions than answers. Our political correspondent Anna Wallace reports on that now. The First Minister, Hamza Youssef, is receiving an outpouring of criticism today, notably from the Scottish Conservatives, following a tearful address made by the Health Secretary, Michael Matheson, at the Scottish Parliament this week. As a parent, I want to protect my family from being part part of the political and media scrutiny Leader of the opposition, Douglas Ross, began voicing his criticism over Matheson's comments that it was due to his children watching football who had racked up the bill, which had initially cost Scottish Parliament £11,000. Week into this scandal, the evidence shows that Michael Matheson claimed £11,000 of taxpayers' money when he knew it wasn't for parliamentary work. But today, a formal letter was issued by the leader of the Scottish Conservatives demanding answers from the First Minister, Hamza Youssef, saying that yesterday raised more questions than answers. The letter follows a number of politicians who have raised concerns, such as Jackie Bailey of the Labour Party, who says that the iPad bill also raises questions over the confidentiality of government information if children are using such devices. But I regret to say that the failure to replace the SIM card, despite reminders over several years, is wholly negligent. I regret that the failure to keep the iPad secure is equally negligent. And I regret that on repeated occasions he assured this Parliament and made statements in the press that were wholly incorrect. Despite the Health Secretary not claiming that he was going to be taking the government-owned iPad on holiday, the First Minister has described Matheson's bill as an honest mistake. That was our political correspondent Anna Wallace reporting. Now, the proposed plans to alter Edinburgh's number 13 bus route have been halted, leaving members of the cut-off communities in Dumby Dykes and Ratho still separated from the rest of the city. Our reporter Lauren Cameron has been investigating what this means for the residents left disappointed. Following a review of the city's subsidised services, plans to alter the number 13 bus service which runs between Craigleaf and Lockend have now been scrapped. 
It was proposed that the service, which connects the east and west of the city, would be altered to serve dummy dikes, an area that has faced repeated bus cuts and currently has no active bus service passing through. In the proposed changes, the eastern section of the route would have been rerouted and no longer serve Princes Street, Newtown, Broughton, Leith, Leith Walk and Loch End, and would instead head towards Lothian Road at the west end, terminating at Dummy Dyke. However, the council has voted against these changes, leaving those in Dummy Dykes cut off from the city centre. Donald Turville reports. I think that there'll be a lot of disappointment because they've been supportive of that change. It would have meant they would have had a, had a sort of link to the, the city centre and, and kind of beyond. They're asking for is, is not for a new bus, but for you know an existing bus to kind of have its route extended out to Rath, and, and then you know basically saying that that's the only kind of viable way that they'd be, they'd be able to get one. With the 41 bus route already being cut earlier this year, impacting mobility of those in Craigleith, this signals a larger issue for the city's most deprived areas. The issue with Dumby Dykes and Leith, I mean, they're places that do have kind of other, other transport links. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ratha is obviously um, on the outskirts of the city. It's, um, it's uh, sort of, I guess you would call, kind of rural West Edinburgh. Um, and they're kind of widely regarded as, as the kind of the most isolated community in terms of public transport. However, Lib Dem Leith Walk councillor Jack Caldwell has argued that the route changes would have been detrimental to locals in Broughton, Leith Walk and Loch End, who rely on public transport to get around. For the people in Leith, um, who were, you know, and then sort of the councillors here who were, who were very concerned about it, and um, I think they're, they're very pleased with how the, how the vote went yesterday. Yeah. Um, so it, it obviously depends on, on, uh, on where you live, what, what your opinion of the decision is going to be. Residents in Ratho, a village in the rural west part of the city, have also been cut off. I spoke to Scottish Labour councillor Scott Arthur to find out more. Now, now Ratho is quite different in that they want a connection which takes them into the centre and I think one of the options yesterday was a connection that would take them to Hermiston Gate and then from there they can take the bus or tram into the city centre. But you know, rightly they want a continuous service which takes them all into the city centre and that's more expensive to run because it's a, it's a longer route and so that's the challenge that we face with Ratho. That was Lauren there reporting. Now for our big interview. Our colleague Jamie Smith has been speaking with Professor John Curtis, political scientist at Strathclyde University. You may have heard of Professor Curtis for his political commentary work and as an expert on UK electoral polling. Jamie's been asking for his opinion on this week's major political news, and it's been a relatively full week in Westminster politics. Both Conservative and Labour Party leaders have made headlines this week, with Rishi Sunak sacking a former Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, the reshuffle which ensued and the surprise comeback of former PM David Cameron, now Lord Cameron. And for Labour, Keir Starmer's had to contend with a backlash with a number of Labour MPs going against the party whip to abstain from a motion asking for a ceasefire in Gaza. Reporter Jamie Smith asked Professor Curtis who has had a worse week, Sunak or Starmer? I think the answer to that is probably Mr Sunak. First of all, I mean, the the letter from Suella Braverman, her resignation letter, was pretty incendiary, and not least in revealing to the rest of the world that, in fact, there had been a written agreement between her and him. STV political editor Colin Mackay said that this reshuffle was a last-chance gamble for, for Sunak, and also that Cameron's comeback was a bolt from the blue. How do you think the move of the reshuffle in some ways has played or 
will play for the Conservative Party as we run up to 2024 elections? Well, I think we need to distinguish two things. There's the internal politics of the Conservative Party and there's the potential wider impact. It's pretty clear that if what was in effect, the exclusion of Suella Braverman, did seemingly give the government a rather more liberal tone. But certainly, you know, there are those on the right of the Conservative Party, A, upset about Ms Braverman being, being out, um, and B, also being upset about David Cameron being in the Conservative Party. And that's led some people to speculate, well, is, does this mean that Mr Sunak is trying to appeal to the more liberal end of Conservative support? Well, if he is, then I think, frankly, he's uh, he's going to be disappointed. We've had three polls conducted since the reshuffle and the sacking of Braverman. Actually, two of them have the Conservative Party below 20% and one just at 21 So on the other side of the, the benches, it has also been a slightly tricky week, notably perhaps for Starmer with the fallout over the ceasefire in Gaza amendment, which was tabled by the SNP. And we, of course, saw a number of uh, Labour MPs rebel, defying the party whip. How do you think this has been perceived perhaps for Starmer or for the Labour Party? And how, how will it play out in the immediate or longer term? You can see the problem the Labour Party faces. I think the first thing one has to say is this. If you ask a question that asks, you know, which side do you sympathise with, the Israeli side or the Palestinian side more, most voters say either both equally or I don't know. But amongst the minority who do express a side, as it were, amongst Conservative voters, they are quite heavily pro-Israeli. And on the Labour side, they are quite heavily pro-Palestinian. So the MPs who have rebelled are either people like Jess Phillips with quite substantial Muslim communities in their constituency and or they are Muslim MPs uh, themselves. So far, at least one has to say, you know, Labour's lead even before this week was, if anything, lengthening somewhat over the Conservatives. And it may well be that in the end, people will accept this is a bit of an honest disagreement and people won't be immediately saying, oh, the Labour Party is deeply divided. Is Sir Keir Starmer the UK's next Prime Minister? Yeah, I mean, there is little doubt that he is odds on favourite and, you know, the, the odds keep on getting shorter. The chances of the Conservative Party being able to form the next administration are extremely low. So Labour don't even need to win the next election. They just have to stop the Conservatives getting too close to 326. That was Jamie Smith there, speaking with Professor John Curtis. Now, up next in local news, we have Suzanne O'Brien presenting the top stories affecting Edinburgh today. A man has been charged after an incident in the Pilton area this morning. Residents reported huge numbers of police cars and vans swarming the quiet neighbourhood at 11.30am. Edinburgh Live reports a 40-year-old man has since been arrested. It is unsure exactly what happened, but the man was believed to be in possession of a weapon. Three protesters have been charged after a vandalism incident at Edinburgh Castle on Wednesday. Eco-activists from This Is Rigged were arrested yesterday after smashing the glass case of the ancient Stone of Destiny in a protest against food poverty. This Is Rigged representative Heather had this to say. Because we want the government to protect people who don't have food and can't heat their homes right now. Those are the people that need help and that's who we're trying to draw attention to. The shore in Leith has been voted best neighbourhood across the UK and Ireland. The award was given at the 2023 Urbanism Awards in London last night. Leith Council leader Cammy Day said it was the neighbourhood's strong sense of pride, community and rich culture that secured the win. I admire your luck, Mr... Bond. James Bond. The family of Bond legend Sir Sean McConnery announced a new film and TV school opening in Leith Docks. 
the family of the beloved actor are joining forces with the National Film and Television School to launch the new venue targeting upcoming Scottish directors, producers, writers and actors. Courses are expected to start in April next year and applications are now open with limited spaces. The 2023 Creative Edinburgh Awards are taking place this evening. The awards recognise and celebrate outstanding contributions to the creative industry. The event taking place at the Biscuit Factory will showcase the finalists and winners of 10 different categories, including a freelance award, an inclusion award and a prize for best creative startup. Marketing producer Rachel Reagan had this to say. The creative industries have had their struggles, especially over the past couple of years. So just being able to get together and celebrate them and remember why the creative industries are worthwhile. In more news, our international correspondent Anna Flynn reports on the international news of the week. Israel has agreed to allow two fuel trucks into Gaza per day in order to meet UN demands. The UN had stated that aid was impossible without fuel and called for Israel to allow more into Gaza. This follows Israel's fuel restrictions resulting in suspension of aid supplies, running the risk of mass starvation and disease among Gazan civilians. The United Nations World Food Programme has said that Palestinian civilians are facing the immediate possibility of starvation. Chief Executive of Medical Aid for Palestinians, Melanie Ward, reveals her concerns. We also know that everybody in the north of Gaza has been starved of food, of water, and so everybody in the north of Gaza is going hungry. We're expecting a massive public health disease outbreak to be taken Rishi place Sunak soon. has spoken out this afternoon defending his new emergency legislation the regarding sending asylum seekers to Rwanda. He has introduced the measure in an attempt to prevent the policy being overruled again. During his visit to an East Midlands school today, he also refuted Suella Braverman's accusation in her article that The Telegraph published today. The former Home Secretary said that the most recent measures Sunak announced were tinkering with a field plan. Sunak told broadcasters, we've got to get the Rwanda plan up and running. He said that emergency legislation would make it crystal clear that Rwanda is safe for these purposes. It meets all of our concerns that people have raised. This comes after the Supreme Court ruled on Wednesday that the policy to send asylum seekers to Rwanda, who had initially arrived in the UK through unauthorised means, would breach international law. A Social Mobility Foundation analysis has published that professionals from working class backgrounds earn £6,000 less annually than those employed in the same occupation who grew up in different social classes. The statistics show that those from lower socioeconomic backgrounds had an average salary that was 12% lower at over £45,000 in comparison to over £51,000 earned by employees in the same job but from wealthier backgrounds. The chair of the Social Mobility Foundation, Alan Milburn, called this the UK workplace's shameful secret and said that a fair day's pay for a fair day's work is the least that anyone should expect. DJ Vernon Kay has raised over £4 million for children in need in his ultramarathon. He ran 116 miles from Leicester to Bolton over four days to raise money for the charity, who are holding their annual show later this evening. He described the experience as one of the most painful and joyous experiences I've ever had. That was Anna Flynn there with our international news bulletin. Now on entertainment. Rapper Snoop Dogg has shocked fans by announcing he's giving up smoking, leading some to cry a publicity stunt. Veronica Pacino reports on that now. Last night, legendary American rapper Snoop Dogg posted a statement on Instagram that has left his fans shocked. The post said, After much consideration and conversation with my family, I've decided to give up smoke. 
followed by a selfie of him 10 hours later saying, respect my privacy. The comments released on social media were hilarious and defined this as an historical moment in time. Snoop without smoke is like a sandwich without mayo. When Snoop stops smoking, the word is done. The dude that rolled his joints is unemployed for life. We all remember his interview with the Huff Post when he was smoking weed and freestyling at the same time. First time ever on the Huff Post. Yeah, we. He's smoking. Can we get the beat on? Where the beat at? Where the beat at? Right beat on. What'd you say? It's too late to put it out. It's too late to put it out. Let's go. And we can certainly forget his legendary arrival to Glasgow Airport last March, when he was dancing while being welcomed by the sound of bagpipes. What will be now Snoop Dogg without smoke, since it was his entire identity from the start of his career? While some are showing support with phrases like health above anything else, Snoop setting his greatest example to everyone, respects, others see this as an April's Fool that's come in a bit too early or some marketing strategy with a user commenting, this is probably just going to be some viral campaign where he launches his own line of vapes or edibles or something. Last year, he released an interview with Daily Mail saying that he was moderating his use of weed after becoming a grandfather because he wanted to see his grandchildren grow old. But fans are still incredulous and are waiting to see the bleak plot twist of the story or waking up tomorrow with him saying that his account was hacked. Snoop didn't release other comments, so we just have to wait to see if this was a pure joke or the 52-year-old marijuana advocate is serious in his statements. That was Veronica Pacino reporting on Snoop Dogg. Moving on, our reporter Thea Kellock is looking into how locals are reacting to the increase in student housing in Edinburgh. I think there is too much uh, student accommodation being built. There should probably be more emphasis on housing for people who are struggling. So yes, definitely feel too much. There's lots of it. I mean, there's certainly lots, you know, coming up all over the place. I really don't know, but I know it's a problem. They wouldn't build more if they didn't need them. But I also, you know, feel sorry for the people that have, you know, a nice apartment they've lived in for a nice flat. I think it's it's a good thing in the sense that they don't bring the need for, you know, their own cars and they've got to live somewhere. It's the two words that divide Edinburgh student housing, and there's potentially more of it coming. This week, a planning application was submitted to Edinburgh City Council for a new development in Leith containing almost 300 private student apartments. This follows the council granting permission for four six-storey student blocks in Inverleith at the end of last month. It's an issue which splits the city. From disgruntled locals who are fed up with the seemingly constant student housing applications, to the student population in Edinburgh who are desperate for affordable student accommodation. One such student is 22-year-old Jamieson, who had to live in an Airbnb after being unable to find student housing. I'm an exchange student from America, and when I came to Edinburgh, I was really struggling to find housing. So I ended up needing to get a long-term Airbnb, which is really inconvenient and very far outside the city and very expensive because there was just no options for me and like no assistance, and it was just really tough to find something. I think building more houses would be very helpful to people like me who want to come learn and explore this city. A spokesperson from Edinburgh University Housing Association has said. We know that there simply isn't enough housing in Edinburgh. 
the increase in landlords converting rented properties into short-term lets, as well as big companies buying up blocks of flats and listing them on sites like Airbnb, have led to a decrease in the number of properties available for both students and Edinburgh residents. There should be a guarantee that no student is left homeless. Universities should not continue expanding their student population when they cannot guarantee that current students have access to accommodation. Comments on the Leith planning application are open until the 7th of December, with a final decision on the application due in March. That was Thea there with the report on housing. Now here's Lana Mackay with the sports roundup. Thanks, Lana. In football, Lawrence Shanklin's stoppage time equaliser rescued a 2-2 draw for Scotland and Georgia last night in Euro 2024 qualifying. Scotland have already booked their place in Germany for next summer's Euros and last night's result keeps their slim hopes of topping the group alive. Last night's game, like all Scotland matches, was not free for fans to view. The Scotland Football Supporters Association have launched a petition supported by Gavin Newlands MP for matches to be shown by free-to-air broadcasters like BBC Scotland or STV. Currently, Scotland International men's games are shown exclusively on Viaplay Sports, who charge an annual subscription of £180. Easter Road will host the Women's Edinburgh Derby tomorrow as Hibs and Hearts battle it out for the Capital Cup. Here's Hibs player Jordan Bochum speaking about the importance of the game. This is the game you want to perform in. This is the game where you just come in with that killer mentality, looking to do whatever it takes to get that win. So it'll be a special day at Easter Road for sure. Both teams are offering free tickets to their fans, thanks to sponsors Bailey Gifford, as they seek to break last season's record attendance for the fixture of just over 8,000. Kickoff is at 2pm. Everton have been given an immediate 10-point deduction for breaching the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. The club say they are shocked and disappointed by the decision and will launch an appeal. Everton have now dropped to the bottom of the table alongside Burnley on four points. It's the Men's Cricket World Cup final this Sunday as hosts India take on five-time winners Australia, who beat South Africa by three wickets in a thrilling semi-final yesterday. And now here's Scott to tell us what's coming up in this weekend's Sports Preview podcast. Join myself, Karen and Callum as we talk all things Hearts, Hibs, Scotland, F1 and plenty more. That was the Sport Roundup there with Lana and a preview for the podcast with Scott. Moving on to finance, latest statistics show inflation has fallen by 2.1%, making it the steepest single-month drop in the last 30 years. Our business correspondent Ralph Fairhurst will be decoding inflation into plain English. He'll be explaining what inflation really is, how it impacts your finances, and what these latest figures mean for you and for next week's upcoming government statement. Ralph, what can you tell us? Updated inflation figures released this week show inflation fell to 4.6% for the 12 months to October. It fell by a whopping 2.1% from 6.7 to 4.6. This was the steepest single month drop for 30 years. This news shocked many as the Bank of England's forecasts and the consensus from a Reuters poll of economics had pointed to an October figure of 4.8%. The reduction does not mean prices are going down, just that they're rising less rapidly. President of the Scottish Economic Society, Professor Sarah Brown, explains. When we talk about inflation, we're talking about the rate of price increase. So, for example, uh, this week, the inflation figures came out at 4.6% in the year since October. So we're looking at the extent to which prices are rising. People often confuse that because they suddenly think, um, you know, prices are going to go down. But it's the rate of increase has fallen. So prices are still going up. I mean, the uh, Bank of England's target is is typically 2%, so they're still going up twice as much as um, we'd expect. 
Prime Minister Rishi Sunak had made halving inflation one of his five pledges when he got into the role. Professor Brown and I discussed who could take credit for the fall. One of the things that there's been a lot of discussion about as to who takes credit for the, uh, the fall in inflation rate. Mm -hmm. But um, as I'm sure you're aware, a lot of it is driven by um, the fall in domestic energy prices. Lots of foreign <laughs> factors also, I suppose. Um... Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of what's happening, in terms of the uncertainty uh, internationally and, and so on. Professor Brown and I closed off the interview by discussing what this means for the average person's pocket. But given, given the kind of variation in terms of the rates of inflation, in terms of how it affects individuals, it's going to very much depend on you know, the sorts of things households spend their money on. I mean, you picked out food, food and drink. Um, everybody needs to buy food. Everybody needs to... Um, to, to drink. Um, so these, these are things that households all have to consume yeah. and they're still pretty high. These, these are categories which um, are going to affect uh, the sort of lower income houses, households even more because everybody has to buy food. Whereas if you think about some of the um, the other categories, um, you know, restaurants, hotels, those sorts of things, that's more of a discretionary spend. That was Ralph there with the finance now, Scotland is facing piles of wasted food, with families' pockets and the environment paying the price. Even as the cost of living crisis leaves many desperate for affordable meals, wasted food remains a pressing concern as ever. Our reporter Bethany Lee has been speaking to those involved with local organisations based in Edinburgh, who are on the front line in the fight against waste. So over to Beth, what can you tell us about the current waste crisis in Scotland? Food waste in Scotland is continuing to cause environmental concern. A report by Edinburgh Community Food has found that every year over 600,000 tonnes of food is thrown away in Scotland, with the average household wasting over £400 annually. However, the largest quantities of food waste come from hospitality and supermarkets. Here at Edinburgh's Zero Waste Hub on Bread Street, workers are doing all they can to combat the problem. Their community hub coordinator, Heloisa Fife, explains how. We work with two different organisations, one that's called Fair Share and one that's called Neighbourly. And what they do is that they connect supermarkets, bakeries, restaurants with charities to take over the leftover food. We work with Cargo Bike Movement, um, who send volunteers with cargo bikes out to all the neighbouring supermarkets. And they collect all the surplus food at the end of the day. It comes to us, we can just put it on the shelves and people can just take the food for free or for a donation. And our overall aim is to make it accessible and affordable for people to reduce their waste. The cost of living crisis has caused high demand for the food sharing initiative, but Heloisa says that even this demand does not outgrow the immense amount of excess waste. We do have um, every morning quite a long queue of people who are queuing to come and get some free food from the food sharing hub and we have noticed that queue getting longer and longer. There's always food available and I think that's in a way the scary bit where you're thinking there is just so much overproduction of food. Um, we're getting these 300 kilos of food every evening and like been like that for, for years. It's good because we're able to redistribute it for free but really that waste shouldn't really be happening in, in the first place. In 2010, the Scottish Government launched a zero-waste plan aiming for a circular economy by 2025. This included a 33% reduction of food waste. And whilst places like Zero Waste Hub are helping redirect surplus food, £1 billion worth of food is still being thrown away in Scotland each year, making the Government's 2025 targets still seem far out of reach. That was Beth there, reporting on Edinburgh's food waste problem. 
Now, finally, we go to Veronica Pacino, who this week visited some of Edinburgh's Book Week celebrations. She's been living La Dolce Vita with biscotti and a glass of wine at an event featuring an Italian-born writer, Serafina Croyla. So, Veronica, have you been enjoying the celebrations Edinburgh has on offer? It's Book Week Scotland this week, and I can't help but feel like Belle when the Beast Shower is library. I can't believe it. I've never seen so many books in all my life. You, you like it? It's wonderful. The Scottish Book Trust organises the annual celebration of books and reading, with events taking place in libraries and venues all over the country. These initiatives are for people of all ages, from children to young teens to adults. Writers are invited to read chapters from their books. In a video for the Scottish Book Trust YouTube channel, author Ethel Smith said why she thinks it's important that authors read out their stories. If you have someone talking about a book, they can pull you in and perhaps persuade you to look between the covers. I attended a book reading event for Scottish-Italian author Serafina Crolla at George Washington Brownie Room in the Central Library. (laughs) The warmth of the room is in sharp contrast with the cold, misty weather outside. The glass of white wine, accompanied by a couple of cantuccini and pecorino cheese, might help with the warmth. (laughs) Attendees gather at the wee table on the left of the entrance as they take a glass of wine with them to their seats where they are welcomed by a small green book titled Adventure, a gift to the guests from the Scottish Book Trust. Serafina Crolla proceeds to read her first and slap chapter of The We Italian Girl, Serafina's favourite book as it's about her and her experience migrating to Scotland from the Italian town of Picinisco. <laughs> When I used to tell this story to my granddaughter, every story, no matter which story it was, had to start like this. Once upon a time, there was a girl who lived high up on the side of a mountain. Her name was Serafina. Then she reads chapters from Domenica, her second book focusing on life during the war. Domenica is Serafina's sister-in-law. Based on a true story, and it's a story of my husband's family, it's divided in three sections. It's like in the 50s, and it goes back to the war and back to the 50s again. The event finishes with Serafina presenting her new book, Children of This Land. Despite the story now being fictional, the author wanted to link her three books to one another as a sort of trilogy by setting them in mountain towns in Italy in the 1950s and with characters that will soon move to Scotland, La Scozia. Alongside Book Week, the Scottish Book Trust are celebrating their 25th anniversary. To commemorate the occasion, they have hidden seven silver tickets with a free book adventure. The tickets are valid for book tokens, with six of them worth £100 and one valid for a year's worth of book to a value of £500. The tickets are still out there, with the winners announced this Sunday. Will you be one of the lucky few? This is Radio Energy. Travel. Now in traffic... The M74 southbound is partially blocked due to debris on the road from Junction 12. Millbank to Junction 13 Abingdon. Traffic is coping well. All lanes are now open after a broken down vehicle was removed from the A92 northbound uh, from B921 King Lassie Road, uh, Bankhead Roundabout to A911 Queensway, Preston Roundabout. Congestion is occurring in the Kostorfin area after a collision between a bus and at least one car in a bus lane. Edinburgh Traffic News has reported some traffic could still be affected. Now, the weather on Radio Energy. 
It's dry and bright weather for this afternoon, with cool temperatures between 8 to 10 Celsius. Weather set to change overnight and for the weekend, with spills across the northeast turning cloudier, windier and wetter, with some pretty heavy rain to come through the night, with temperatures up to 7 or 8 in the morning Saturday. Pretty grim, lots of rain around and cloudy as well. Strong wind across the northeast, but temperatures reaching 12 to 13 Celsius. Sunday, it will have further rain to the south, but dry in the north, with winds gradually easing, but it will stay windy across the southeast. That's everything from Energy News. Thanks for listening. Live from Edinburgh, Radio Napier, News.